welcome to the Items Podcast. I'm Lily Clements, an Impact Activation Fellow, and I'm here with David Stern, a founding director of Items. Hello, David. Hi, Lily. Our first podcast. What do we do? So today I wanted to talk about this kind of tagline that we have, this maths minds thinking hard about supporting a collaborative society. Yes. So this is our first podcast, and, and yeah. so let's start by a discussion on what why this name so i guess maybe starting with the maths minds yeah and and maybe just starting with why a podcast series anyway sure Um, so so i mean this podcast has sort of come about because i can't write so we i can't (laughs) do a blog um but more more generally that we as a sort of community now in idems have got stories to tell which we're not very good at telling and and so the idea is to sort of actually get these stories out there because when we tell them face to face, people want to hear these and we're not Absolutely. getting them out. And so so the idea is that as an organization, as IDEMS, we want to get our stories out and share these with people in ways which we hope will be useful. And I and also it- feel that a lot of the times when you speak, you say the stories in such a way that if I was to repeat them, it still wouldn't come out the same way. You want to hear the stories from that person themselves. Yeah. And and unfortunately, that's why, at least initially, I'm, you're going to be hearing me speaking quite a lot because I've had got a lot of stories to tell because we've been going quite a long time. And over time, the, the, the intention is for the IDEMS podcast so for other members of items to get comfortable telling their stories much more. So, so that's the aim that, you know, as we grow into this, this becomes a real mechanism for, for, for many people within items to tell their stories. But I apologise, you'll be hearing quite a lot from me over the next few months. Well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> people will get bored eventually. <laughs> but but I think the, the important thing is, and this is where the subtitle or the, the sort of catchphrase is so important, it's the yeah. fact that as an organisation, you know, we are... Mathematical Minds at the heart of it. This was founded by mathematicians. I was a math lecturer. I you know, taught mathematics at a university. I was a mathematician before becoming a statistics educator, before becoming a data scientist, before becoming a research method specialist, but always within the mathematical sciences and applying for the last 15 years that in international development, in social impact, in trying to actually move the dial on societal issues, not just doing this, as I did initially, for the beauty of the subject. I love mathematics. It's beautiful. <laughs> when you have no applications, it was great. But, you know, having the mathematical minds applied to things of social importance, I think is really important. And that's the mathematical minds part of, of the subtitle. But but what about then other minds? I mean, in items, we're not all mathematical sciences. We need we need no. And, and there's this society in society. There's this big issue that actually mathematical minds are overvalued. They are underrepresented in areas the charitable sector, in you know international development. And so there's areas where they're underrepresented. And one of the reasons they're underrepresented is because they're overvalued in finance, in business. Uh, and so on. And that's why we have a society where it's very expensive to get mathematical minds to work on social issues because you can earn a, 
a lot <laughs> going into a bank with a math PhD. I mean, this is something where, you know, you're in demand, you have skills which are really valued. And I think a big part of this is actually, if you're not looking at, and I'm going to jump to the collaborative society, bit, but if you're not looking at a collaborative society, but you're looking at a competitive society, maths minds are really good at competition. You know, actually figuring out logically what's going on, understanding, you know, the, the, the theories behind it, getting rid of the noise and just understanding, you know, how to make a profit. You know, this is the sort of things that math minds do really well. In general, math minds, because they're good at reducing the complexity down to something they can solve, they don't tend to deal with complexity well. And this is one of the things which is so important. In our, in our society, we're seeing all the negative impacts which come from, as a society, having single indicators of, of success. As countries, you know, everything being around GDP growth, well, there's good evidence that that's not what builds a good society. You need to be thinking about society growth in a multidimensional way. The sustainable development goals, you know, these are multidimensional. And there's good reasons behind that. And one of the things we recognize as an organization is that while we employ and while we bring in mathematical minds, from day one, when, when we bring people in, we help them to recognize that mathematical intelligence is not more important than the other intelligences. Absolutely. There are many other intelligences more important than, than the mathematical intelligence. Uh, so why, So in this case, you're saying we're focusing on the maths minds. And so yeah. what is it that the maths minds can bring? Because you said that they can't, they, they aren't good at dealing with complexity. So they're clearly not bringing much there. So, so, so no, I didn't say they're not good at dealing with complexity. This is this is a this right. is one of the contradictions. You know <laughs> what they're really good at is getting to simplicity. Okay. So so they often avoid complexity. They just sort of get rid of the noise, the complexity, and just say, well, okay, this is simple. This is just this, and that's what they're really good at. And and you know it's one of those things that as a, as a mathematician, you know. What you tend to do is you tend to make sure that what you're working on is extremely well-defined and precise, and you can logically follow the argument. Yeah, that's what that's what you're trained to do. This is what we do really well. And so we're really good at logic. We're really good at precision. We're really good at actually getting a, a precise context and working it through to understand what the implications will be and what would logically follow. But, for example, an intelligence which I value immensely and have had to work at because I don't have it naturally is an emotional intelligence. You know, actually understanding the, the value, for example, uh, one of my favorite examples of this is that, you know, if you treat all people the same, you know, many mathematical models, you sort of work with differential equations. Sure. If you have differential equations, you assume a homogeneous population. A homogeneous population means everyone is the same. Okay. Not my experience. Everyone's <laughs> different. <laughs> so accepting that there are differences between people means that you need to accept there's different motivations. You need an emotional intelligence to understand how to motivate other people. You know, 
Well, and this is, I guess, later in the podcast series, we'll have the likes of Lucy, who's an anthropologist. Absolutely. I mean, and she she deals with with these kind of more complex <laughs> ideas. That, that... And, and this is where mathematicians are really good with complexity, as long as it's well-defined. Whereas sure. anthropologists, they work brilliantly when things aren't well-defined because they can't, they know you can't define these well. There's all this complexity you cannot define, you can't turn down. So it's a different nature of that. And valuing that sort of, that human element is so important. Okay. Okay. So should we, are you ready to move on to the thinking hard? Yes. Okay. So mass minds, thinking hard. So why not, why not thinking? <laughs> well, I mean, math, math, math minds tend to think that's what we do. But most yeah. of the time, we tend to try and simplify. And also just the statistician in me at this point wants to say math minds being mathematical sciences. Absolutely. It is <laughs> not, not that I mind very much about being called a mathematician. I don't mind what you call me. But but I know many some... statisticians do. Many statisticians are very clear that they are not mathematicians and they think differently and actually many statisticians are you know they're used to sort of being on this boundary where things are less well defined they deal with variability i yeah. love the fact that you know people make this big difference between mathematicians and st statisticians in all sorts of different ways but if you come down to the modeling you know thanks to bayesian statistics the difference between mathematical models and statistical models is just an error term that in stats you worry about the variability and in math you assume that everything works on average. <laughs> so obviously statistical models are better. Thank the you. Mathematical <laughs> models are missing out on the most important aspect, as in the variability which exists within everything we do. But at the heart of, of all of this then is sort of, well, where does variability exist? And so, so, you know, statisticians have it much harder, if you want. And this is where your sort of, your mathematical sciences, there's so many different layers to it. You know, there's your computer scientists, where they're, they're sort of much more on the end of, of sort of getting towards building things, understanding algorithms, you know, understanding how to work with big data. I love the fact that computer scientists have captured data science from statisticians. So, you know, just like, you know, mathematicians are horrified if you call, sorry, statisticians are horrified if you call them a mathematician, data scientists would be horrified if you called them a statistician. Oh, yeah. No, they they're not a statistician. <laughs> You know, they're a data scientist. They don't work with statistical methods. No, no, no. They've liberated themselves from that using computing. And and so they now work on big data and they, they use machine learning and artificial intelligence. And so and we could, we're going to go into that in. in yes, other yeah, I was going to say, I think. Well. The, the variability and all of this and responsible this AI. It's going to come out beautifully in the future. But I think I shouldn't leave out theoretical physicists. Of course, you know, there's an important distinction in the mathematical scientists. You know, an experimental physicist would not be considered a mathematical scientist because they need a lab. They need to work with experiments. Whereas yep. a theoretical physicist would be considered a, as part of the mathematical scientists. And they're brilliant because they bring in the real world. You know, mathematicians, you know, we can abstract out from anything. Whereas theoretical physicists, you know, despite the fact that they're theoretical, they are trying to understand the real world using the same tools. I mean, I, you know, so 
the mathematical sciences as a whole is really important. But to yeah. get back to this thinking hard. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry for diverting us. I just... Diverting, <laughs> diversions are good. To get back to the thinking hard, it doesn't matter where you are in that space. By and large, our general approach is to be lazy. You know, any good <laughs> mathematical scientist tends to want to be lazy and to do the simplest thing possible. In mathematical modeling, there's this whole thing about actually doing the simplest model possible to answer the questions. You know, this is an unnatural instinct. So thinking we do very well. But naturally, as a good mathematician or a good mathematical scientist, we want to be lazy and think as simply as possible. But we're saying, no, we don't want to just think. We want to think hard. We want to think deeply. We want to go beyond the easy solution to look at complexity sure. because that's the nature of how we can serve more broadly. And thinking hard doesn't mean thinking longer. It doesn't mean thinking you're sitting on something. It means, I assume just from experience of PhD, it means kind of in your you're digging deeper and deeper into the problem, which might mean spending longer on it, but it doesn't necessarily mean. Yes, I think that that's absolutely right. That it it definitely it's well, it does relate to this sort of Nobel Prize on thinking fast, thinking slow. We are not talking about thinking fast. We're not talking about sort of being able to sort of, you know, have your good instincts. That's what thinking fast does. We're talking about thinking slow. We're talking about reflecting deeply. Sure. Talking about considering complexity. Yes. And is that the thinking hard? Shall we move on to the... That's the thinking hard. Let's go to the collaborative society. It's the collaborative society then. So, okay. Mass mind thinking hard about supporting a collaborative society. Let's go on to collaborative so, society. So the collaborative society is really important because at the moment, a lot of our society is built around competition. Okay. Know? Companies com compete, you know, for, for resources. Countries compete for resources. But even within competition, it has been shown that collaboration can outcompete competitiveness. And there's some really wonderful biological research going back a long time. You know, the selfish gene is a really nice popular expression of this, which is really old now. It shows how old I am. But, you know, this is this is a, a very simple way where in biology they used a bit of the maths to then demonstrate why actually being collaborative can outcompete in a number of contexts. So, you know, it actually showed, you know, in their context, they had a nice chapter called Good Guys Finish First, which I okay. really quote. You know, as a, when I was young and growing up, this appealed to me in many different ways. And so, but this idea that actually by being collaborative, you can outcompete. Now, you can't outcompete in all contexts. And actually, the society we have created at the moment doesn't really support collaboration as much as I would like. It sort of is assuming that there is a limited resource in, in different ways. And we do live in a world where there are limited resources. And of course, when there are limited resources, you need 
so competition for those resources is, is natural. But there are other ways in which our resources aren't limited. And when you're in that context, that then collaboration can actually perform better than competition in certain ways. So but how can we, if we have competition in there, how can we have collaborative working effectively if you've got people that are competing in the mix? Well, I, you all you need for that to happen in an evolution in evolutionary terms is that the people who are collaborating outperform the people who are competing. It's as simple as that. Okay. <laughs> you know, mathematically, that's all it corresponds to. It's a question of within this, you know, who performs better. And actually, there's more and more evidence around that people who collaborate well do tend to perform better, even in a competitive environment. And so understanding how to collaborate and when to collaborate. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, Competitive practices won't win out in certain cases. McDonald's is one of my favorite examples of a really sneaky competitive practice where some people thought they were building burg a burger company, whereas other people realized they were actually building a property company uh, okay. and um, then stole the whole concept. So the original McDonald's was totally screwed out of McDonald's and couldn't even use his own name for his restaurant because people realized that the value in the company was in the property and not the burgers. And therefore, anyway, that's a whole that's different very, story. Very so, so there's, there are concrete examples of where competition in, in, in these ways has, has won out against the sort of more collaborative approach. But there are plenty of other examples of where the collaborative approach has achieved more. And so we believe in in this in these collaborative approach and, and and in enabling a society which supports them and that's sort of where we think that in the sort of crises we face at the moment collaboration is essential to us actually building the society we want that will be able to rise to the challenges of the future I mean, it doesn't matter whether this is the economic challenges which we're facing across the world. It doesn't matter whether this is the future health challenges, which COVID-19 has sort of shown will be coming, or whether this is the climate crisis. There's so many different crises our society are facing at the moment. Actually, these are, I believe, times where collaboration can really win out and can really outcompete competitive models and so we're looking to support that collaborative society and this is this you know about supporting yeah so we cannot achieve that mathematical minds are ill-placed <laughs> to conceive what a collaborative society of the future will look like you need emotional intelligence in the bucket loads to do that. You need all sorts of things we don't have necessarily. I, I'm very conscious that when I walk into almost every room, whatever the context, I am by some measure both the smartest and the dumbest person in that room. And so recognizing that that collaborative society requires intelligences I don't have, but that my intelligence can contribute to it. I think that my role is to support the people who are trying to build that world, who are trying to sort of create that future. And, and so our role is, you know, we're good at competition. This is what comes naturally to us. You know, I've been, since I was young, I like to win. 
Exactly. <laughs> so I feel that's a bit of a confession, really. You know, I sort of, you know, and I got quite good at winning in a lot of different cases. I was, I used to play volleyball before I, you know, when I was a little younger, and and I loved it, and I actually got quite good at it. And, and I used to find, you know, I had my one one season of great success. Yeah. Local league, you know, I played more seriously. I played in the National League in the in England and so on, which is a really low standard if anyone internationally knows about volleyball. Um, <laughs> but, but, but it, you know, I was coaching a team in in a, in a local league, and we were not the strongest team in in the league, and we lost two games, one in three nil, and the other one three one. Every other game that season went to five sets and we won all of them because right. I was really, really good at the psychology of winning and actually <laughs> how to get the sort of substitution, you know, do the coaching right. So that even though we didn't have the best team, if we went the distance, you know, we had the psychological advantage at the end that we yeah. won and we won the league. Now I'm quite proud of that, but it's, it was not because we had the best team. It was because as a coach, I was able to get the best out of my players at the right point in the time and have momentum with me to win the match in that crucial fifth set for all but two games of the season. Yeah. And in the two games of the season, we didn't get to the fifth set. But if we had, we'd probably have won it because <laughs> I got the psychology. So it was, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I like competition. I'm good at this. This is natural, the mathematical mind of thinking about these things, being able to take complexity and turn it into the sort of simple thing of actually, well, how can I make substitutions which will increase our team's motivation while yes. demotivating the other team and all of this? That was something I was quite good at. And naturally, mathematical minds, we can be pretty ruthless. You know, we can be we can be really good at competition. And so our role is not to build that collaborative society because that's not how our minds think. Our role is to support others, to recognize the value of that society, to understand how to build it in such a way that it can outcompete others, because I believe it can. And that's one of the things which has been shown in time and time again in biology and in other areas that actually collaboration done well with the right depth of thought behind it can outcompete. And that's what we're about. I'll just give one last example of that, sure. which is is my favorite, is my inspiration. Okay. You know, if you know, if the guys behind this, you know, ever ever listen to this, you know, I admire what you did. Red hat. I knew it was gonna be red hat. You knew it was gonna be red hat. These guys are amazing. <laughs> they decided when Microsoft was the biggest, the richest company in the world making its money out of proprietary operating systems, they decided that it would be a good idea to build a company around offering a free operating system. So, and they succeeded. They Over roughly a 20-year period, they built a company which turned over a billion a quarter based on an open source free operating system linux and then you know it was incredible not just the way they not just what they did but the way they did it and then of course they got bought out by ibm they all became rich and all the innovation they'd built was was lost but that's a separate story <laughs> but the fact 
that they demonstrated that this collaborative, you know, everybody knew about open source way back when they started and people liked it in theory. Yeah. But after they'd done that, people saw, no, this outcompetes proprietary okay. as a way to develop software. And now, you know, all the big software companies develop a lot of their software as open source because yeah. it's better for business. And that's a really beautiful example of collaboration winning out if it's done right. So hats off to you, Red Hat. And that's part of our inspiration. Um, Interesting. Okay, great. So could you just summarize in one or two sentences, Maths Minds, thinking hard about supporting a collaborative society? This is really underlies what IDEMS is. This is about the fact that as mathematical scientists, we should be in service of the society that we want to see. If we want to be the change we want to see in the world, we need to recognize that it's not about us. It's about the mathematical mind serving others. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, David. And I really look forward to continuing conversations in this series with you. Thank you. I look forward to it too.